Thank you, Lord, for the leading of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for each of us, God. Lord, you are the provider. Lord, you're the one that meets the need. Jesus, we thank you for being all of that for us. We thank you, Lord, for being all of that for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just keep your mind on the Lord for a minute. Keep your mind on the Lord. Think of His goodness to you. Think of His goodness to you. Without Him, we wouldn't have breath. Without Him, we wouldn't be able to be here tonight. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus. Hataye arahakatahaye. He aramasata haraye aralahasai. He aandaralasatahaye. He aramasata hakatahaye. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to me. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to invite Bishop to come and greet you and speak to you in Jesus' name. Well, hallelujah for that. Amen. A do-over. What's that mean? To you. A do-over. The Lord came to Abraham and he said, walk before me and be thou perfect. And he made promises to him and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a great nation of you. Uh, like the sand of the seashore, like the stars of the heavens. I'm going to multiply thy seed. And then gave him a season to believe the promise. Somewhere in the process of time, which always takes a toll on us, between he and his wife, they begin to manipulate their own circumstances to try to produce God's promises in their life. And it failed miserably. Oh, it produced something. And so there were consequences of their actions, and they would live with the consequences of their actions. But... God being who he is, he came back to Abraham and communicated the same to, thing to him. He didn't rake him over the coals. He didn't take him back through everything and, you know, verbalize, I told you. I told you so. He didn't do that. He came back, reiterated his promises to him, gave him a do-over. And he walked with God and had a do-over. Did it differently. Didn't go and repeat the same processes. Didn't come to God and say, you know, this is just who I am. You just need to accept who I am. I, I, I can hear my own voice as a teenager ringing in my ear when my dad said, if you're going to go out and get a job, you ought to think about getting a haircut. Now, he wouldn't say that today, of course. But I said, you know, I threw my shoulders back. I liked wearing my jeans and flannel shirts and long hair. I said, they need to accept me the way I am. He said, well, just go ahead with that plan. See how that goes for you. <clears throat> you know, somewhere along the lines... We should accept wisdom and humility and realize when God is given us a do-over and approach it differently.
Yes, Lord. And in many scenarios, realize that God has placed individuals in our lives to help be a guide, to help be a voice. You know, not to say, uh, I told you so, but to help guide and sometimes reflect. Now, you don't want to do that the same way this time. I can't tell you right now how many people that I know right now that are just starting to do over. And, I, and I'm hopeful and I pray to God that they don't repeat the same path, go down the same road. There's a measure of years between the last time and now. And for some, uh, it's, it's tremendous to witness. Wow, God has gave them a do-over. They recognize it. And they're walking a completely different walk than the last season. Pray with me for a minute. Come on, let's pray. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. You know, back in the day, it was, uh, it had become my identity. You know, the. I used to have to use a lot of hairspray. It was my identity. You know, some people got to walk. I didn't have a walk. I had this flare thing that went way out there. You had to get it just right, and then... get to stay in place, but if you ever walked into a room with humidity, <laughs> and so, you know, when I came to God, I put the suits on, but don't touch my, you know, and it was a process of time that I realized what I was doing. I was trying to maintain my identity rather than lose my identity and take on his identity who am I going to be when it's he and I what is the walk that he's asking of me well you know I got a few haircuts but before long it just kind of started falling out anyway and so My identity was changing either way. We seem to be living in a season of time where uh, people are so adamant about, you know, accept me who I am and this this is who I am and God loves me just the way I am. Well, probably not. He'd like to see a few changes along the way and he would like to help you. Because there is a place that he would like to take us. The whole idea of putting on Christ now is not necessarily a change of clothes. But it is a change of identity that I become less like me and more like him. And it, it is, there are elements in that part of the process that help me in surrender 
and in situations of the do-over. Amen? Amen. He sure loves us, don't he? I mean, really, he, he loves us. That he would give us such opportunity. That he would, I remember Brother Flowers ministering a few weeks ago about long-suffering. What is he doing? It, that long-suffering is him giving us an opportunity to come back around, right? Giving us that opportunity to, I, Bishop's talking about the second time around or, Right. For some of us, there are situations, if we're honest, it's the 10th or 12th time around. Thank God for his long suffering. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago over coffee, uh, a fellow minister. And he said he was talking to God about some things that weren't changing for the group that he was working with. And he broke down sitting there at the table. And he said, the Lord gave me an answer. He said, the Lord told me, you're the problem. This is a man in his early 50s. He was saying, I'm not the man I was anymore. After the Lord spoke that to him about a year ago. What was the Lord doing? The Lord, even at a tender age of 51 years old, was giving him an opportunity to start afresh. You know what we call that when we start over? The Bible calls that when we have that change, we call it repentance. It's a change of thinking. It affects our action. When I, the Lord deals with me about something in my life, illuminates an area where he's trying to bring change in my life. Before he can bring a change that produces the result that he desires, that he produces through his working in our lives, he knows the first thing that has to happen is he has to change the way I think. That's repentance. The word repentance literally means to change the way one thinks. Right? And so it's critical. I, uh, I work in the financial services industry, and um, it's interesting at times to me. I'll work with people that just can't seem to break a debt cycle in their life. Maybe I've worked with them for years, and they have this debt cycle. And I'll watch them grow in their job financially. I'll watch... I mean, right, they do their direct deposits, so I see their income change. We, they'll come in and talk to me. So we develop relationships, and that's what we do. And, and I'll see. But they're, they're never able quite to get ahead, and I'm thinking, and, you know, I've been working with you for five years. I've watched your income change from X to Y, and you're, what's the deal? Well, the deal is their thinking never changed. And so because their thinking never changed, their situation never changed. And so when we work with them, you know, they were like, usually it's something like, this is just an example. Man, could you maybe find a way to consolidate this and restructure this to make my payment lower so that I can have more money? Well, sure, we can do that. But what happens as soon as we do all that and they have more money? They get another bill. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, somebody said they buy a boat, right? Yeah, that, that's what happens. Something happens. They're like, they don't go, okay, I still have all the, you know, these things I thought I needed that got me in this mess. I still have them, but I paid it down. We got this rework. Now I have more income. So they don't go, okay, let me make sure I don't get in this pickle again. They find a way to spend the more money. What happened? Their thinking never changed. They were given Bishop a do-over. But rather than 
let their thinking be changed and take advantage of that opportunity. They just went right back. Oh, it didn't happen immediately, but because of a, cha- because of a refusing to change about how they thought, they ended up back where they were. Maybe it was a year or two before it became recognized, right? Because... How much more when the Lord begins to deal with our heart and work with our life. There's been two places in Scripture turning in my heart. Places we know very familiar. Isaiah 53 speaks of the Lord Jesus, right? Prophesies about him. And it says he's despised, he's rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. This is speaking of the Messiah. He's acquainted with grief. And so as a result, we hid our faces from him. He's despised. We didn't esteem him. Then it says something about him. It says in verse 4, Surely, watch this, he has borne, what did he bear? Our griefs. He is born our griefs. And what is he carried? Our sorrows. But yet, what did we do? We esteem him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5 continues. And I know we've heard this, but I want you to see something here. He was wounded... For what? Our, my, your transgressions. You understand? All of this was, if I can use the words Bishop used, all of this was done to give us the do-over. Right? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for whose iniquities? Get your hand and put it right here. Mine. chastisement of our peace was on him and with his stripes we're healed now I um, this is all I've ever known this message of the apostolic church my whole life but my dad my biological father, he was raised Catholic. And he went to boarding school, all those things. And uh, and I don't know if, and I'm being careful here, this is, as an example, this isn't pointing fingers at a religion or a denomination. I'm drawing out what I know. There's this idea in Catholicism that negates these scriptures. And it's called penance. Penance. Sort of sounds like repentance, doesn't it? But it's not. I want you to pray with me right now. We need to let the Lord put these things that he's doing tonight into our spirit. Come on, pray with me. Pray with me to hear with our spirit, not with our intellect. God, anything that would get in the way of me hearing with my spirit, what you would try to impart into it, I release it unto you. And I trust the work and the operation of your word and spirit. You know what we need and what you desire to speak to us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name with my spirit. So there's this idea of penance. Penance says that if I've sinned, if I've failed, if I've transgressed, if I have iniquity, then I need to punish myself some way for what I've done. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but you understand what I'm saying. That part makes sense, right? Right? It's like... I have to put myself through so much stuff before I can truly be forgiven. 
And you understand if that's the case, then this isn't true. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for mine. So the penance, the, the punishment for the act is what he went through. When I suffer, my suffering isn't because of my sin. I mean, not if I'm blood washed and filled with the Spirit of God and belong to Him. That's a different type of suffering. That's suffering to identify with Him and His love for others and allow His Spirit to work through us. But I don't suffer as penance for sin that He's already covered. You understand? But there's this thought in our humanity that says, well, I've failed, and, and I know from my own experience, I've failed, and therefore, I must suffer a while. And what it often looks like is I go to an altar, and I pray, and I'm sorrowful, and I weep, and I cry, and God forgive me, and he says, okay. And I get up, and I go, and then the next service or the next time I'm in my closet of prayer, I, I go there again. God, forgive me. And I, okay. And what we do is, and in different ways, you can feel it, we find ways to put ourselves through penance. Uh, there's, I don't remember what country it is, I know it's somewhere in South America. There's this deal where mass numbers of men in this city. There's some day where they go and what they do is they, they beat themselves with stripes. And they flog themselves until blood comes. I mean, it's like, what are you doing? You know what they're doing? It's penance. They're inflicting pain on themselves for their wrongs. And what they're saying is the pain that he suffered for my wrong isn't good enough. Or I don't believe his word. And so what do we do? We do the same thing. Oh, maybe we don't take a scourge of nine tails and beat ourselves physically. But mentally and emotionally, we put ourselves through penance. And it, it can come through different statements. Oh, I'm not, I don't deserve. I'm not worthy. I'm... This it's not real humility, it's self-effacing, self-penance. It's not the will of God. It's interesting, I think it's in Matthew chapter 9, where the story where the, the man with the palsy comes there, or is there, and Jesus comes into the room and he says... Thy sins be forgiven thee. And the scribes are like, what did you just say? They had an issue with that. What do you mean thy sins be forgiven thee? Why did they have issue with that? Isn't that what they wanted? Isn't that the design and the desire that man's, mankind's sins, transgressions, iniquities would be forgiven, remitted, removed? Isn't that the... The idea, like we talk about do-overs tonight, isn't that the idea where I failed would be removed and remitted? But when Jesus said that to the man with the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, he saw something there. And so he spoke to it, but the scribes, and you understand the scribes, they're the ones who pinned the scripture, they're the religious writers. They didn't like that he said that. I don't know if they thought the palsy that he was suffering from was penance for his failures along the way, right? We have the story in the book of Acts of where the man was healed and all of the religious leaders say, you know, how long or where Jesus healed somebody in one of the gospels and they said, how long was he like this? What happened to him? What caused this? What sin did he sin? They were assigning an affliction to a sin. They were, it was penance. Well, you got this because you sinned. This is on your life and now you got to suffer with it. Maybe he'll forgive you, but that doesn't mean you get freedom from it. It's yours to bear the rest of your... No, 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 I'm sorry. That's not the way Isaiah 53 works.
Jesus asked the question of those scribes in Matthew 9. What's easier for me? To say your sins be forgiven thee? Or to say take up your bed and walk? Okay, take up your bed and walk. (laughs) His sins were already forgiven because Jesus Christ had already said it. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, I believe, why don't we flip there, chapter 7, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 8, Paul's writing about this, he was dealing with some things in the Corinthian church, if you read the first book of Corinthians or the first letter to Corinthians he was dealing with some things and addressing some things and second Corinthians he's sort of following up on that in verse number eight he says for though I made you sorry with a letter you ever heard the word of God and it made you sorry for something in your life you heard the word of God and it illuminated something in your life and you're like oh I need to change right I need my thinking to change in that matter right Lord, I've made a mess. I need need to do this over again. Your word's illuminating that to me. So Paul says, though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. In other words, I'm not changing the way I think just because my letter affected you and made you feel sorry. Though I did repent, for I perceive, I perceive that the epistle or the letter has made you sorry Though, now watch, and this was his intent under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Though it were but for a season. He didn't write the letter addressing the issues or concerns there in the church to try to heap sorrow on them that they would just carry forever and ever and ever. He wrote it so that they would be sorry for a season. Why would he want them sorry for a season? Verse number 9. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. But for what the sorrow did. But that you sorrowed to repentance. That was the purpose. That was what the letter, the word of God, written by the man of God was supposed to do. It was supposed to do something in them that brought them to sorrow. But not so that they kept doing penance. Not so they kept living under this guilt of shame and this heaviness of I failed and oh the word has shown me where I'm no good. and No, 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 no. He wanted them to feel sorrow but he only wanted it to be for a season. And that season was just supposed to last long enough to bring them to a place of repentance. To bring them to a place to where they changed the way they thought. Where the word of God produced an effect in their thinking that they thought differently about their actions. So that their actions would change because their thinking changed. Not by the work of a man and mind over matter. But by the work of the word of God that they allowed to get into their spirit to affect that change. That was his writing of the letter. I wanted you sorry. But I wanted you, sorry, for a season. And I didn't rejoice in your sorrow. You know, there's some people who take rejoicing in other people's sorrow to a whole new level. She's getting what she deserved. I know we've never said anything like that. Or I hope they get what they deserve. Careful. Careful. We'll be judged by our own words. Paul, when he was writing, if I can paraphrase, he was saying, look, I wanted you to be sorry. That's why I wrote the letter. But I didn't write it to condemn you so that sorrow would just hang over your head every day of your life hereafter. I wrote it so that it would illuminate things to you that are in error. And it would draw you. That sorrow would cause you to find an altar of repentance. And allow the spirit of God to work in you to change your thinking. I should never rejoice in someone's sorrow. You were made sorry, watch this, after a godly manner. Why does that matter? 
Because if you're made sorry after a godly manner, you might receive damage by us in nothing. That's how you can tell the difference. When godly sorrow comes or when sorrow comes in a godly manner, it doesn't seek to do damage to the one that hears it. Right? I'll pick on Brother Zario front and center, right? The word says you shouldn't wear black T-shirts, and yet you're wearing one, you heathen. And now you've got TJ wearing them too. And the word says, I'm not trying to use the word to to bring sorrow, to lead him to a place of changing his thinking. I'm just trying to use the word to condemn him. Let me let you in on something. If you and I are using the word that way, we don't know what spirit we're of. It's not God. Now, if I bring the word and I say, Brother Zario, can I share something with you I've seen in the word? Would you just give this some consideration and pray about this? The word has some things. This isn't, I'm just, this is a hypothetical example. The word has some things in it about about black t-shirts you may have never known before. Can I walk you through some things that it should? You understand, I don't have a problem with black t-shirts. I'm just trying to be really random. You let the word fit where it does for your life. But would you consider this? I, I, I think it might be impactful for your life and could really. If you have questions, let me know. I'm glad to. You see the difference? I'm not trying to use the word to condemn. I'm not trying to use the word to get him to conform to my way of thinking. God forbid. The word of God is coming in love. And he looks and he reads it. And something smites his heart. And it's sorry. And he's like, I didn't even know. But now I realize. and Now that I know, I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm going to go home and get every black t-shirt out of my closet. And I'm, well, who told him to do that? Nobody told him to do that. He was just, he saw something. The word of God began to speak to an area in his life. And when he received it in his spirit... He was sorry that he didn't understand it. But now that God gave him understanding, his thinking changed. And when his thinking changed, action followed. And that's what the word that produced sorrow was supposed to do. Bring him to a place of repentance. Not let him go around going, I'm good for nothing. I had 14 black t-shirts. I'm just a terrible person. It's probably going to take 14 years for God to ever forgive me because my closet was so full. And I just... Sort of silly, isn't it? Penance. Penance. It's Catholicism at its finest. That you might receive damage by us in nothing. Look at the next verse. Why? For godly sorrow worketh Repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But watch the sorrow of the world. It produces something too. Death. You know what penance produces? Penance beating ourselves up. That's not godly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. That's not accepting the work that Jesus Christ did for us that we read about in Isaiah 53 prophesied. So I keep beating myself up. I keep beating myself. That's godly sorrow. And you know how you know or that's worldly sorrow. And you know how you know it's worldly sorrow? Because you don't have life. You just feel 
dead. You always feel beat up. You're never good enough. You never quite make it. You're just, just a failure. Just what's wrong with me? How come I? And so you just keep doing penance. Just keep doing penance. Maybe if I, how long do I have to do penance? Well, penance will never bring the freedom that he already bought. He was wounded. That was penance. He was wounded. He was bruised. The chastisement was on him. All of that suffering, that pain that he went through, it was him paying the price so we did not have to. That only comes through godly sorrow producing. That word there that says worketh death, that word literally translates the misery of hell. That's what worldly sorrow produces. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, those scribes that we referenced in Matthew 9. I sure hope that's where it's at. If it's not, go search it out and let me know. Those scribes, when that man with palsy's sins were forgiven. Why did they care so much what Jesus said to that man? I mean, wouldn't they just be thankful? You would think. I wonder... If there were any that maybe his suffering made them feel better about their religious piety. Because, you know, under the Old Testament law. Under the Old Testament law. Depending on what you did and how you sinned. There were certain things you did. Right? If I... If I failed in a certain way under the Old Testament law, I could come to the priest and I could bring a dove for this. And I would bring a lamb for that. And I would bring a goat for this. Or I'd bring flour and oil for that. Or I'd offer these different. See, there was, it was some way of bringing to make atonement for my sin. Right? That was the law. The law said I had to do something that made atonement for my sin. And then, of course, once a year, because my atonement was only so accomplished so much, once a year the priest, the high priest took a lamb and they went into the holies of holies. And when the Lord showed up and the glory of the Lord manifested itself, they knew their sins had been pushed forward, not removed, pushed forward one year. And so throughout that next year, a dove, a goat, a offering a flower and oil and bringing this and bringing that, an atonement for my sin. I'm acknowledging I failed again, and here's my atonement. Let me see, what can I... And the Lord in His mercy and grace in the Old Testament law said, you know, if you can't get this, then I'll make a way where you can bring less. See, even under the law where you had to bring something for atonement, he still made it possible for everybody. And if you can't afford or you don't have, then bring this. But after Calvary, we are no longer under the law. And so because we're no longer under the law, we don't bring things to him for atonement anymore. He became the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that was atonement once for all. So, if I know this word to be true, and godly, repent, godly sorrow worketh repentance, it brings a change of thinking, so I now have this opportunity to begin afresh to do over. Why would I live under the grief if he's borne my grief? Why would I live in sorrow if he carried my sorrow. Why would I still be bruised if he was bruised for my iniquity? You know why? Because we haven't let the last part of that verse work. With his stripes, we are healed. I know we've often quoted, and I believe it applies, we've quoted that verse in terms of physical healing. 
But when I read it again in Isaiah in that context, and you go back and look in the Hebrew, it speaks more to emotional, mental distress healing than it does to physical healing. That's why it was associated with those words and those verses in Isaiah 53. What was the Lord saying? I'll tell you what I believe He was saying. He was saying, I was bruised, wounded, all these things I did for your sin, your iniquity, your transgression. But I know the human nature because I formed you and I framed you. And even though I'll go to Calvary and I'll die for you and I'll suffer and I'll go through all these things so you don't have to, even though you'll come and you'll repent, my blood will wash away your sin, you're still going to try to carry that grief and that sorrow of your failure. And so the stripes, the purpose of those, were to heal you mentally and emotionally from what I dealt with that you did naturally in the wrong. And those things, that literal healing there in the Hebrew, healer, a hurt of nations involving restored favor, a healing of individual distresses, a healing of national hurts, a healing of personal distress, a healing of national defects or hurts. His stripes were to deal with the other area. I remember, you can stand with me. On Sunday, we talked a little bit about fathers. Sister Schoonover, the Lord used her to minister to us. She told the story. It's just stayed in my spirit all week. She told the story of a vision dream she saw in a stone and it being coming up out of a field in my life I had dealt with hurt you ever had somebody do you wrong don't raise your hand if you're human I know the answer already it was repeated I came to a place in that journey where anger welled up so great that I communicated to someone else emphatically and it scared me after I said it. You ever said something you didn't realize what you're saying and once you said it you heard your words and they scared you? I said I'm going to kill them. It can't, I, I don't know where it came from Sister Julie. I, well, I do. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I had 11 years built up in the heart. It manifested itself out of my mouth after 11 years. See, that was my natural solution to the problem. And so when it manifested itself out of my mouth, it scared me. And the person I was speaking to, it scared them even more. Because they probably saw just my face and heard the force of those words. I wish I could say that emotional shock of those words coming out of my mouth caused me to run to an altar. It didn't. It was six and a half years later. It did cause me to repent, or at least try to. You ever try to repent? I don't know if that's being too honest or not. I'm just going to tell you, there's times I, I'll repent and I'll feel better, but then it'll be a few days later and I realize there's something still there. I'm like, God... go back again I'll go back again I'm wanting that do over I'm wanting to get it right but I can tell there's something still there
It was six years. I thought I'd dealt with it. You ever thought you've dealt with something, only have it rise back up in your spirit? I thought I had. Six and a half years went by. And it was a Friday night in Stockton, California, of all places. Some big civic center somewhere. Service was over. God had done great things. I'd appreciate it. I couldn't tell you what they preached about. I don't have a clue. Really don't. Everybody had been praying for a while. Great move of God. I think I was participating. It was finished. I don't remember what they preached. We're standing there. And, you know, somebody comes up at the close of the service, takes the microphone. I thought, ah, we're going to finish. This was the last night. Wow, what a night. We'll go have a nice meal together. We'll celebrate and whatever. And they took the microphone. And they began to talk. And there was probably 24, 2,500 people in this auditorium. And Brother Lewis, it felt like, and I was a ways back, it felt like they were looking and talking right to me. And it felt like every light in that auditorium was pointing right at me. And it felt like everybody around me knew that they were talking to me. And I realized... I haven't dealt with it. It's still there. And it scared me so much that it was still there. I'm like, I've been living with that there. I fell on the floor right there. And the Lord, I didn't do it. The Lord took it out of my heart. He took it out of my spirit. That hatred, it was hatred is all it was. It was hatred. And I didn't understand. Lord, how come it stayed there? What was it I was waiting on? And the Lord helped me understand why it stayed there. Because while I had repented and prayed for forgiveness, the hatred that I had towards that individual, I was waiting for something to happen to them to satisfy me that they had paid the price for all they'd done. I was. I wanted them to do penance. I want them to pay the price. So therefore, I was not releasing them. I was not forgiving them. I mean, I wanted him to forgive me, but you know. I was waiting for a moment that would come where I could rejoice in their sorrow. Is that too honest? I was. That's what I was waiting on. I mean, I wanted them to have a do-over, but not until they suffered. That's not how the Lord works. And what he did that night when he took that out of my spirit. Is I came to know what it means with his stripes were healed. Because when he took that out of my spirit. He healed my mind of that pain. You say, well, what happened to that individual? That's honestly immaterial at this point. I've watched them deal with pain still. And you know what's interesting about watching the things they're going through now? It hurts me to watch them go through it. I don't want them to suffer. Matter of fact, I've gone to them and had conversations with them. Trying to find a way to take their suffering away. That's how I knew God had really healed my spirit. I didn't do it. He did. You want to do over? Anybody interested in one of those tonight? I'm going to tell you where it starts. It starts by releasing all of those that you don't want to have one. It starts by releasing all of those that you don't want to have one. 
And that's what was holding on to my spirit. Why don't we pray right now? Come on, talk to the Lord with me. In the name of Jesus. 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 You were wounded for my transgressions. And you were wounded for those that transgressed against me. You were bruised for my iniquities. And you were bruised for the iniquities of those that have iniquity toward me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let godly sorrow come, but only for a season to bring us to repentance. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, we don't rejoice in someone else's sorrow. We trust the sorrow of God to lead to repentance, to a change of thinking, so there's a change of action and a change of life. And we come alongside saying, God, give me wisdom and the love of God and the compassion and the mercy of God to be a catalyst in leading them to you and leading them to a place where your spirit works. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I trust you, Lord. I trust you and I thank you for your healing, for your healing, for your healing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Wherever we are in all of this, can we purpose to allow the word of God and spirit to work in us? Now hear me, let's take something away from the enemy right now. Don't beat yourself up if you go, well, how come that didn't happen to me the first time I prayed? The Lord knows our frame. He knows our frame. But what I have to do is purpose, Lord, I'm coming back to you again and again because I want this. Whatever you got, you know the layers, you understand, Lord, so I'm coming back to you. I'm staying broken before you. I'm staying humbled before you. I want your spirit, your way of thinking, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Dismiss. Go with God.